Uh, when I was a kid, and maybe you guys can identify, I struggled with nightmares. But not just bad dreams, like the kind that you would wake up and you couldn't breathe right up here, and stiff as a board, like petrified guys. One of them that I, re I remember them clearly to this day, one of them was a disembodied hand that would emerge from the cushions of the couch. Don't ask me why, but if the hand came out of the couch, it was game over. And I'm just, you know, as a kid, just freaking out. Well, I open with this because we are continuing in our series in Daniel, and believe it or not, there's a disembodied hand in Scripture. So we're going to look at Daniel's chapters 4 and 5 today. And it's not just the disembodied hand. There's a man who becomes a beast. There is a voice that falls from heaven pronouncing judgment. Guys, we are going to look at some fascinating passages of Scripture that are horrifying. Did you know that some parts of Scripture cross genres? And we are now going to look at horror in Scripture. Chapters 4 and 5, okay? So, 4 and 5, and the reason we're going to do these chapters together, they actually comprise parallel and contrasting stories between two worldly kings. One named Nebuchadnezzar. I might start calling him Neb for short because it's a lot to say. And then the other, and that's in chapter 4. And then the other, chapter 5, is Belshazzar. God warns them both through dreams and visions, very similar to chapter 2. And we see our man Daniel involved in interpreting these things in both. One of them ultimately humbles himself and one of them does not. So I thought it would be helpful for us to kind of see these chapters collectively as a seesaw. Chapter 4 and Nebuchadnezzar is on one end and chapter 5 and Belshazzar is on the other. And in the middle, in the center of the seesaw is verse 37 of chapter 4 and it's on the screen for you now I Nebuchadnezzar the former king chapter 4 praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble echoes 1st Peter 5 5 for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble guys this verse chapter 4 verse 37 not coincidentally the last verse in chapter 4, right in the middle of these two chapters, is the center of the action. This is kind of telling us, this is what all these chapters are about. Those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. It turns out the entire passage is about this. We've been studying through the book of Daniel, and now we come to these chapters. And throughout Daniel, remember, it's been all about kings and kingdoms and competing Who's really in charge here? If we come here, this is by far the climax of the conflict between kings and kingdoms. And it's no contest. We're about to find out. It's no contest. Okay, part one, chapter four, the horror of arrogance. Part one. There are four different ways that our man Nebuchadnezzar, Neb for short, is going to learn an extraordinarily humbling lesson, even though he's the greatest king of all. Remember last week, Eric was preaching chapter 3, 
Nebuchadnezzar is the gold head of that statue. He is the greatest, literally. That was the interpretation of the vision. Well, he learns, he starts to learn, first of all, but he has another dream. These guys have a lot of dreams. I just got to point out, a lot of dreams. But he dreams that essentially, uh, that there's this large tree that fills the earth and supports everyone and everything, literally. And then the tree gets chopped down completely with an iron band around it. And then it gets really confusing. We'll get to all that in a second. He freaks out. He calls his man, Daniel. Daniel comes in and interprets the dream. And as Daniel does, Daniel actually explains to him what is going to happen. So two things that Nebuchadnezzar is getting warnings from the Lord already. The dream is a warning. And it specifically says in verse 17 of chapter 4, and I'm sorry, I should have said, we're whipping through scripture in chapter 4 and 5. You probably want to keep your Bibles open 4 and 5, and I'll just try to point you to verses because I won't. There's too long to read the whole passage, uh, but I'll just jump in and out trying to retell the story. So in verse 17, it specifically says to Nebuchadnezzar as he gives him the dream, the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men. I just want to pause there before I carry on in the ways that Nebuchadnezzar is being learned. And it is that it is for a purpose. The humbling is not just to lay him low. The humbling is that so he and we may know. May know what? May know that the most high rules the kingdom of men. We'll come back to that, but I just want to emphasize, you will see it repeatedly in the scripture, that you may know, that you may know, that you may know. So, he speaks to him a dream. Daniel interprets it and prophesies, this is going to happen to you, and the kingdom will be confirmed from you from that time that you know that heaven rules. Chapter 4, verse 26. So, let me just jump in, jump in with me on verses 28 through 33, and these will also be on the screen for you. All of this, the dream, Daniel's interpretation, and the prophetic uh, proclamation came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and he answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, seven years, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, a grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were bird's claws. So it happened as he dreamed and as was prophesied but the voice, there was also a direct voice. He directly spoke to him. Guys, who else in scripture had God speak to them directly, verbally? Not many. Nebuchadnezzar is one of them. I mean, it, it just it gets our attention, doesn't it? And then, of course, he experienced this. He actually, because of his arrogance, he is made to be like a beast. Instead of having dominion as God intended over all the beasts of the field, the tree supporting all the earth, 
he becomes the beast. Literally. This foreshadows chapters we won't get into into Daniel's chapters 7 and 8 and some of the visions you can read ahead on your own of the arrogance of man pictured in beastly terms, beastly form. So, I mentioned already uh, Nebuchadnezzar was all these things, this learning of him, this humbling of him, was intended to drive him to what? To know. To know what? To know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. So at the end of chapter 4, you see, after the seven years pass, I don't know what that's like. And all, all of a sudden, what did he do? Clip his nails himself and then come back into the palace? I don't know. But it says he was restored. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, verse 34, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High. Oh, he knew then. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him forever. For his dominion is everlasting, his kingdom endures. So basically, it was a wholesale shift. But that's an awfully hard way to learn that lesson, isn't it? You know, people talk about, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. Well, Nebuchadnezzar chose the hard way. I mean, Daniel even asked him, when Daniel was interpreting the vision, there must have been some relationship there. You have to read between the lines of Scripture, because apparently, Daniel's like... Let this interpretation be for the king's enemies. I.e., I hope this isn't actually for you, but here's what it said. And then he goes further and he says, Now let my counsel be for you. Something to this effect. Break off your sins. I.e., take the easy way. Humble yourself. A year goes by and Nebuchadnezzar stands on his palace. You remember the, the, the I mean, Babylon's amazing. One of the ancient wonders of the world with things that this man built. Is this not great Babylon? So, amazing. Okay, that's all. Horror of arrogance, part one. One thing that we have to take from this, again, humility is not just being low. It is knowing knowing that the Most High rules. Nebuchadnezzar did it the hard way. Okay, now let's go on to the other side of the seesaw and into chapter 5. And we'll start talking about Belshazzar. There's some debate, is he directly his son? He's a descendant in some way. So he was in the line of Nebuchadnezzar. Couldn't have been too long because Daniel's serving them both. So it could be direct, I'm not sure. But I will just say, we're going to flip into this chapter and the contrast could not be more stark. It couldn't be more stark. Right off the bat in chapter 5, verse 1, we see King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. He's only addressing a thousand lords. In chapter 4, it opens with, I didn't read it, Nebuchadnezzar is writing his whole story, which we'll come back to, to everyone. But Belshazzar has got his sycophants. He's, these are people that are suck-ups. Party animals, drinking, partying, etc., etc. That was the audience. The purpose, Nebuchadnezzar explains why he wrote his own humiliating story for his entire kingdom in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Go back and read it. He is wanting to proclaim what he now knows. That's not what Belshazzar is about at all. Belshazzar intended to selfishly impress and revel. And in fact, when they tasted the wine, it says, he's like, hey, 
bring all the vessels out from that, that Jewish tabernacle. All the, you know, all the really nice gold ones? So spread them all out and let everybody drink from them. Show off. Self-centered. So here is the horror of arrogance part two. The one who gets it wrong and the one who should have known. He should have known. Who could not have heard this story about Nebuchadnezzar, his father or in his line? So, immediately as these things happen, Belshazzar is drinking, they're having a party. Verse 5 of chapter 5. Immediately, here it comes guys, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, not a dream. And then it goes on and says, the king's color changed, you think? And his thoughts alarmed him, maybe? And his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Guys, it's real life horror. And I link it to this is the result of arrogance. This is what happens. I'll just point out briefly this phrasing, the color changing and greatly alarmed is also repeated multiple times in this chapter and in the future chapters of Daniel. Daniel himself, when faced with God's power and God's vision of what is going to happen, is the prophecies and the visions that he sees in the future. When Daniel is confronted with that, Daniel's color is changed and his thoughts greatly alarm him. Guys, there's something about that we take for granted easily that when we interface as the created with the creator, there needs to be some shock and awe. We should not be put off or surprised or taken back by that. We are human, we are finite, he is not. We are not the kings of our worlds. We live like we are, come to that, but he, is, he actually is. And there's something about this Humility, there's throughout scripture, Israelites couldn't bear to hear his voice uh, when he was speaking to them from the mountain. Um, similar, when Isaiah encounters God, he falls on his face. Remember the disciples when they're in the boat with Jesus and he calms the storm? They were more scared after. That's the right response. When you interface with that kind of power and that kind of God, that's the right response. So unlike Nebuchadnezzar, who was made to know God's greatness and his place, and, and then humbled himself, Belshazzar did know these things and he did not humble himself. Verse 22 of chapter 5, you his son Belshazzar have not humbled your heart though you knew all this. You've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in. They drank from them, etc, etc, go on. And you have praised the gods of silver and of gold and of bronze and of iron, wood and stone, none of which are writing judgment on your wall against you right now. But the God in whose hand is your very breath, in whose are all your ways, you have not honored. So what the hand wrote on the wall, we find out in Daniel's interpretation, is a dramatic summary judgment in, in verses 24 through 28 of chapter 5. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and, and there's these odd words, they're Aramaic words. 
many tekel and peres, and they essentially are meant to sound like what they mean. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Guys, that very night, and you can go back and document the historical documents separate from the Bible, that night the Medes took over the Babylonians and Belshazzar was killed. Immediate judgment. Striking. So, remember from Daniel chapter 3, the golden head was now replaced with the silver chest. And we'll get into chapter 6. Daniel continues to serve, amazingly. So that's the story. Now we've covered quickly chapters 4 and 5. But here's where I want to kind of pause and turn it to us. Okay. Fascinating stories. Really interesting because of the horror genre. I get that. Why is this here? What difference does it make for us? How is all this relevant or meaningful to us? Is this just some ancient story that we should be impressed by? Some nice literature? It's amazing literature, actually. We don't reign over kingdoms. Do we? We don't live by our whims. Do we? Are we islands unto ourselves? We may not say, this great Babylon that I built for my great power and my royal residence. But do we think in those terms? I want to just touch on a few examples of, and there's no limit to them, literally infinite numbers, but examples of where we might be surprised to find this same kind of arrogance and pride subtly tucked in our own hearts and lives. Guys, this is hard for me to share because it's not pleasant words, but this isn't pleasant passage of scripture. And there is hope coming, but first we have to hear the hard part, okay? Pride of possession, example number one. What does that mean? Well, a rich man's wealth, Proverbs 18 tells us, is a strong city. He puts his hope in what he has. Who among us puts hope in what he has. I do. Is the bank account okay? My car running all right? My degrees? My job? My relationships? It's interesting, this, I don't have time to get into all the vessels that are mentioned in this chapter, but Hezekiah and Isaiah 39 specifically showed all these guys, these vessels. The Babylonians came to visit, and Hezekiah's like, check out all my stuff. Isaiah's like, why'd you do that? I wonder if he was arrogant about his possessions. That's one example. Many others. Pride of position. Pride of privilege. You know, we talked about Daniel excelling. And it's, in fact, his, you know, it's obvious that Daniel and his three friends, their gifts make room for them. God has gifted them in certain ways, and they've also been diligent to cultivate those gifts. Fantastic. But there's also a flip side to that. When we all of a sudden become arrogant about what we can do, how much influence we have, or the color of our skin, or the economic, socioeconomic status in which we sit. This is an extremely wealthy county, one of the top in the nation. It's all relative, guys. And all, honestly, this all gets down to comparison. If we are comparing ourselves to someone else, 
almost by definition, that is some form of pride. So what I'm trying to help us to see, and I hope it's coming through, is that even just these little examples like, ooh, oh, yeah, ooh, yeah, oh, I didn't think about that. It's in there, guys. And we need to expose it because we need to know. We need to know. Okay, one more example. We talk pride of possession, pride of position, pride of perspective. It's like, oh, man, what is that? Subtle but profound arrogance. That what I think is right is right. My way of thinking is right, and the rest of you are idiots. You may not say it out loud, but who has thought that inside? I have, especially when we're on the road driving. <laughs> it's amazing that more, like 90% of drivers polled think they're above average. <laughs> It's not possible. I'm trying to pull into a gas station the other day, and it was the windows down, it's all hot, whatever. And lady revs up out, young lady, and I heard her cursing at me on the way out. Get out of my effing way. Now I'll tell you, my heart didn't do well in the moment. I didn't respond, but inside I was like, who are you? But then I, it was, it's interesting how the Lord speaks to us in those moments. Here I am, I'm being wronged, in my opinion which is right, and, uh, and, uh, and the Lord's like, and the Lord's like, and who are you? What difference does it make? Like, can you give way? I don't know if I could have, I can't remember the whole situation, whatever else, but it's like, guys, this is what I mean. The pride doesn't have to, it, it oozes out of us. And guys, it's not okay. It's frightening. Remember, we're sitting in the scripture and it's horrific. Why is it horrific? Because of arrogance. Yeah. Yeah. That, when we come face to face with who really is in charge and who really set everything up, oh my goodness, family, we need to be on our faces. Do we want to do this the easy way or the hard way? Because here's what's going to happen at the end of time. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't say most knees, the ones who believed. It's every single one. That will be by compulsion for some number. Similar here. That is where this leads us. So, life's not all about us. It isn't. And yet, here we are saying similar things, maybe not in the same words as Nebuchadnezzar. Is this not great Babylon? Fill in the blank for yourself. Which I have built by my mighty degrees and experience and work and ability to relate and blah, blah, blah. As a royal residence, my things, my possessions. Do you hear? He said the same things. It's pride in all the same ways. If God so humbled these Babylonian kings, if he so carefully watches their demeanor and attitudes and they get away with nothing, and how much more us? How much more us? What hope then do we have? Oh, family. What hope? Left to ourselves, we would have no hope. Is that not obvious? These guys were boneheads 
Like, it's easy for us to see it on this end, right? I mean, you got to wonder if Daniel came along and Nebuchadnezzar was like, Neb, dude, street smarts, brother. Like, the dream, the vision, like, what are you thinking? Have we not interpreted dreams for you before? Like, what are you going to do here, you know? And like, it just doesn't get it, doesn't get it. And he, of course, goes from kingly man to beast. But guys, our hope in the face of God's horrifying wrath, which we rightly deserve for our arrogance and sinfulness. Our hope in that is in someone who is greater than Daniel. So Daniel mediated between these kings and God. Well, guess who mediates for us? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Sunday school answer. Jesus, let me hear it. Jesus. But guys, please hear this. And maybe it's for the first time for some of you. It is Jesus. Because he went from being the legitimate king, the only man who could rightly claim everything that Nebuchadnezzar falsely tried to claim and that all of us try to falsely claim. He's the only one that could claim that. And he went from that position, being a nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And it went further than that. Isaiah talks about he was so marred beyond human likeness as he went to the cross. He didn't become a beast, but he was so marred. I can't help but make those connections. He drank the cup of God's wrath. Belshazzar is chugging wine and being proud. And Jesus is taking the wrath that we deserve for that kind of arrogance. He took our places, guys, to bear God's righteous judgment. It was the cost that he paid so that he could extend to us, so he could be for us the righteousness of God through faith in him for all who believe. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short. All have sinned and fall short. All have sinned. There is not one exception. There are no false positives here. Right? With the whole COVID pandemic, it's like, I know, I know more than I want to know about false positives and tests. And everything. There is no false positives here. If you are within the sound of my voice, you need this word because you too have arrogance bedded in your heart and soul and sin pouring out of you and apart from the grace of Christ have no hope like these kings. Guys, that's hard words, but it's hopeful words because here's the answer. Here's the hope you have. You can do it the hard way and continue in arrogance. These are our two options, right? You can continue to live your life as an island to yourself. James talks about when I, I will go and I will make profit and I will do this business and X, Y, and Z. Boasting in such arrogance. It literally says that. Go read James chapter 4. We can continue to live like that and experience the horror that comes along with it. 1 Peter 5, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. Who wants to be opposed by the maker and creator? Think about it. Like again, I'm appealing to you just on the level of street smarts. That's option one, the hard way. The easy way, humble yourself to truly know him. It's not just be lowly. Remember, we were talking about it's not just be lowly. It's humble yourself to know him really know him guys god is revealing to us himself to us in far more profound ways and deep ways 
than even Nebuchadnezzar. Dreams, visions, personal voice, experience. Okay, we don't all hear him audibly from heaven, but Hebrews says that Jesus coming is the pre, I mean, there is no greater revelation. We live in the benefit of that. We now know that. We see it in, in, in history, in scripture, in thousands of years of church history, in relationship. Humble yourself to know him. He gives grace to the humble. Let me close. There's only one way out of the real life nightmare of pride and arrogance. And that is knowing who God is, humbling ourselves before him, turning from our sin, trusting in Jesus and living by and for him instead of ourselves. That's the summary. That's the Christian walk. We need to know him. So let me invite you. If this is the first time you're hearing a word like this, this is God's mercy to you. He's speaking to you and he's inviting you. Put your faith in me. Break off your sins. Turn away from self-centeredness and put your faith in him. For those of us who have been believers for a long time, this word is also for us. Oh, no question. Let us live in this way. Guys, humility is not an achievement. It is not a destination at which you arrive. Oh, I am now humble, like I got a degree, or I now am 13, or I am 25, or 55, whatever. It is a direction in which we move. It is a way of life and a way of being, which means it is constantly embattled, constantly. So that word is for us as well, guys. These are the two responses I want us to have. Let us stand and let us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, our true King. I want us to take a moment as Joel leads us in singing, just reframe your heart. Wherever the Lord was pricking you, the Spirit works in our hearts and pricking you in particular. Oh, yeah. Guys, please, please seriously consider and listen to the voice of God, the voice of the Spirit, the voice from these scriptures being re-spoken to you to humble yourself and receive the great hope that Jesus has provided. Amen. Let's sing.